Welcome to a special edition of Tisky Sour, where you can watch myself and Aaron Bastani melt as we watch the first televised hustings for the Tory leadership. And of course, this is a race to also be the next prime minister. Aaron Bastani, how excited are you for this? Very excited, Michael. I'm less excited for the climactic conditions under which we're doing this. But look, see, this is a, a dry run for your your show next Monday, where you'll be in the studio and it's going to be, what, 39, 40 degrees? I saw somewhere say 41 in London, which is just mind-boggling. Three degrees warmer than the UK record. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 worrying on a number of levels. Of course, it's, it's mainly worrying because of what it portends for the future and what climate change is already doing. But I am, on a personal level, also um, a little bit worried about melting here on Monday night. But it's a big news day, so we will be here at 7pm. Tonight, five candidates looking to be our next Prime Minister will take part in their first live televised debate. Earlier this afternoon, there was a Zoom call hostings hosted by the website Conservative Home. These were the pitches given by the candidates. I want us to be an aspiration nation that unleashes opportunity right across this country. But the reality is we've had two decades of low growth. We haven't seen those opportunities and we're now facing a major economic crisis following COVID and the war of Russia uh, in Ukraine. Choosing the leader of the Conservative Party, however important that is, but the leader of our country, who is going to take Labour to task on their epic failures around the country, to take on the SNP, who are trying to tear us apart, to take on Plaid and the Lib Dems, who are letting down communities across the UK. But we can only do it. We can only do it if we get a clean start. I voted leave and my maiden speech as an MP was uh, to celebrate Brexit as a vote of confidence in the United Kingdom and also in the British people. And I'm standing because I want to renew this party in government and win a historic fifth term. We need a return to conservative policies, to confidence. We have responsible and capable citizens and they want their government to be too. I want all of us to feel like we have turned a corner past COVID, past inflation, past delay and disruption towards growth and hope. Those are the candidates currently battling it out to make the final two, which will be chosen by MPs, before the final decision goes to members. The whole thing is still looking pretty open. These were the results of yesterday's knockout round. So Sunak won the support of 101 MPs. That's 13 more than he got in the first round. Members' favourite Penny Mordaunt came second with 83. That was up 16 on the day before. Next was Truss with 64, up by 14. Badnock was on 49, up 9 from the first round. And Tom Tugendhat lost support from the first round. He got 32 in round 2, down 5 from the day before. But it was Suella Braverman who came last, that was with 27, and she was eliminated. Aaron, what's your impression of where the race is at at the moment? So, of course, before the big hustings, which we're about to watch. Well, just, just to go with what Liz Truss says at the beginning there, Michael, she says 20 years of, of low and no growth. That's categorically untrue. We saw 60 consecutive quarters of growth up until 2007. Now, that was because of an economic model which fell flat on its face in the subsequent global financial crisis. But you had, I think, 60 consecutive quarters of growth, 40 were under New Labour, 20 were under John Major's government. So 
there was a load of growth towards the end of the 1990s and the 2000s, all the way up through to 2007. Then, of course, you get the global financial crisis. Yes, there are some very bad years between then and 2010. But the real economic failure is the last 12 years. And the, the Tories have been in charge for the last 12 years. So I think for me, that distills something that I find so fascinating in this debate is that you've got a bunch of conservative politicians who, on the one hand, have to defend the record of, of government over the last 12 years, and on the other, have to acknowledge the multiple failings of British capitalism. And you would think any sort of smart, reasonable uh, political journalist would point this out at length, repeatedly. We aren't really hearing it. So I think we're going to see some rather contradictory things said this evening. Yeah, I am imagining a lot of things which are wholly irrelevant, actually, to the challenges we face. That is, that's what's been going on mostly in this race. Can we just get up this, this graphic again, actually? Because I just want to talk about, the, I suppose, the, the horse racing element of this. Who is um, likely to get into that final two? What are going to be the key issues and the key battles going on in the next few days? So Rishi Sunak, the magic number um, to definitely get onto the final ballot is 120. So he's just 19 off that. So he's pretty sure to get through to that final two. And then the battle is really between Penny Morden and Liz Truss. Now, if you look at that without any knowledge of who these candidates are, obviously it looks like Penny Morden is, is most likely to go through. She's in the lead. But Liz Truss does have, I think, something up her sleeve because Kemi Badnock and Suella Braverman, both very right-wing candidates, and it's expected that many of their supporters, well, if Kemi Badnock does get knocked out and now Suella Braverman has been knocked out, it's predicted lots of them will go to Liz Truss. Suella Braverman has, in fact, endorsed um, Liz Truss. So that's where the real battle is. Who is going to be facing Rishi Sunak? Right now, our fundraiser is still going and we're getting ever closer to hitting our target. As you know, we're looking to expand our base of supporters to 10,000 people. So 9,800 of you are on board, which is incredible. We're so pleased to be so close to that target. And thank you so much for all of you for supporting us so far. If you haven't already, then do head to tomorrowmedia.com slash support. That's where you can sign up to become a regular supporter. That link should, as always, be in the description box below. Let's move on to the leadership debate. Aaron, what should we watch out for? Who do you think has the most to lose in this debate? Oh, without doubt, Rishi Sunak. Without doubt, Rishi Sunak. I think he's, he's, he's one minor calamity away from losing. You know, this guy's he's, he's treading on, on thin ice. Could be on Brexit. He's being attacked from one side for being too left-wing. He's being attacked from the other side as kind of identikit, louche, city-friendly, liberal, conservative. He's got a lot to lose. And of course, Penny, Penny Mordaunt's got a lot to lose because she's, she's seemingly the favorite now. I know she's the bookmaker's favorite yesterday. I don't know about right now. Uh, these things change every hour when you're in the, in the midst of the leadership contest. But uh, I would say those two, Sunak in particular. You know, Sunak tonight, it, it may be all over. You know, the extent to which he's a media confection, uh, you know, you, there's, a, there's a big big part where live by the sword, die by the sword. The media can kill people like Sunak because he doesn't have a, ba a base really beyond the media. Whereas somebody like Liz Truss does, you know, the Tory membership really like Liz Truss. Yeah, I think I'm going to say Penny Morden has the most to lose. And the reason I say that is because I know, I, I know Rishi Sunak has got an easy ride, but people do know about him. People know what he, what he says. Penny Morden, people know nothing about. And I think there's been a lot of projection, been a lot of projection onto this woman as the safe pair of hands who's in touch of ordinary people. No one knows anything about her, what she thinks, what she believes. And I have to say, I listened earlier to the, to the hustings on Conservative Home. 
I can't really remember anything she said. It was much of a muchness. I was incredibly underwhelmed. So I think it could be that her campaign is shown to be, you know, something that people imagined. Everyone projected what they wanted to see in her. And I think it could all crumble this evening, which would obviously be great for Liz Truss, because then I think she'd go up against Rishi Sunak. I think Rishi Sunak does have things to lose, as you say, Aaron, but it is pretty difficult to see him not getting to the final two. So presumably, if you, if you get to the final two, you will have a chance to rescue yourself if you mess up the debates this weekend. If the race is to get into that final two and you're Penny Morden and sort of everyone's desperate to hear what you have to say because you might be the next prime minister and then you just waffle on and say nothing of interest or nothing that's remotely interesting. I think this will be make or break for her. Um, I suppose the other issue is what, what Channel 4 lead on. I would expect, given that we're going to see 40 degrees heat probably on Monday or Tuesday, they're going to go hard on climate change. Channel 4 also likes to talk about climate change. And I think that's potentially what's going to be most worrying about this leadership race, if, if that consensus that we want to get to net zero by 2050 is completely crushed, is threatened, because that has been one of the consensuses in, in British politics that's been actually genuinely welcome. It is about to get going. We're very excited for this Channel 4 debate. Let's see what they have to say. Good evening. Here we are again, three years after Boris Johnson won the right to lead the Tories and then delivered a big election win, the party's over. There's about to be a new occupant of number 10. So after all the scandals, shame and sleaze, who's the right person to lead a post-pandemic Britain through the worst cost of living crisis in living memory? How will they handle soaring inflation, public sector strikes? Will they cut taxes? What's their immigration plan? And as Conservative leader, who's best to fight off Keir Starmer and the other parties? Well, tonight, in the first live TV debate, they will face questions from a studio audience made up of floating voters, the people they'll need to convince at the next general election. They're all university educated, they're all in their 40s, and of course, they all want to be prime minister. So in alphabetical order, Kemi Badenoch's mother was a university professor. Her father was a GP. She grew up in Nigeria, America, and London, and became an MP in 2017. She resigned as Equalities and Local Government Minister earlier this month, launching her leadership bid with the slogan, It's Time to Tell the Truth. Penny Mordaunt has worked in public relations and as a magician's assistant. Her father was a paratrooper, her mother a teacher. She's a Royal Navy reservist who says the Tory party needs to be less about the leader, more about the ship. Until Boris Johnson demoted her, she was for two months Defence Secretary. Rishi Sunak's parents came to the UK from East Africa. His father was a GP What's and he standing on? a pharmacist. He worked for the investment bank Goldman Sachs. And of course, until recently, <laughs> was Chancellor of the No, Australia. seriously, he's not that tall. He says he no, was he's, 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 he's a very small man, but apparently very well proportioned, which is why no one realises it. You can't see his feet. Liz Truss's mother was a nurse and a teacher. Her father was a university professor. At university, she was a Liberal Democrat. She worked for oil and telecoms firms. An MP since 2010... She's the Someone who worked for an oil firm, exactly what we need in Downing Street. Deliver. And Tom Tugendhat is the son of a High Court judge and a French mother. He joined the Territorial Army and served with... Maybe they're all just quite sure. In Afghanistan. <laughs> he says he wants his party... Yeah, they must all be no, quite sure. I, I mean, think... Oh, like, no, he's not standing on anything. You can see his feet there. Yeah, I think, I think they're all like five, six. That's fine. I'm not... That's, there's nothing wrong with that. So this is the year of the short king. A member of the... It's just statistically unusual. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into that. I've got bigger problems with them than their height, I suppose. ...follow up and clarify. At the end, each of them will make a short closing statement. Oh, I thought that was the first question. So let's get going. 
There's one subject that has dominated the questions from our audience, and we begin with Prasanth. Prasanth, what would you like to ask? Why should the public trust any of you? Let's trust. Well, the reason that I can be trusted is I have been somebody in government who has said I will deliver things, often things that people said were impossible. Uh, for example, the trade deals after we left the EU, people said it would be difficult. The trade deals are the same as what we had before. We, I secured yeah. deals with we still import two-thirds of British cheeses. I delivered what I said I would deliver. <laughs> As Foreign Secretary, trade deal with I Iceland and Liechtenstein. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Vladimir Putin in the face of the appalling war in Ukraine. I took on the Brexit negotiations and I've delivered the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill to help fix the issues in Northern Ireland. But they're so not fixed, I have babe. Made progress on all of these sure, issues. I think Tuggan Hat's going to tear some people's. I've always backsides. said what can be done, what can't be He's done. He's going to go out. He's going to go out in glory. Is fix the economy. We're in the worst cost of living crisis, the worst global economic crisis for decades. Who's in government, Liz? With a proven record of delivery who could go in there, sort it out, promise the public it will be dealt with. Okay, but this wasn't about your record. This was you can trust me because I'll when promise you things will be dealt with. Honestly, when did you tell Boris Johnson he was wrong and he had to go? I'm a loyal person. I stood by Boris Johnson. Of course, I raised issues with him in private. But I supported him for the leadership that election. Blouse. She looks like an expensive Easter egg. His you know, they have little bows on the front. And I owed him my loyalty. <laughs> like a, li a little Easter egg. What I'm Easter saying egg. to you is in that every statement I've ever made in government, I'm always somebody who has acted with honesty and integrity. I've delivered what I say I will deliver. And that is the way I will behave as Prime this Minister. This could be the next Prime Tom Minister, Sigmar, Michael. Why should they trust Jesus you? Jesus Christ. Well, I've been talking about many of these issues now for many months because trust in politics has been collapsing. Trust in our party has been collapsing. Let's be frank. We all know that we need a clean start and many people are asking the right questions on this. We know that many people are asking the right questions and it's up to us to give the answer. And the answer is... <laughs> we do. Now, what I've Wait, been what? calling out... What I've been when he said the answer is... Years, is <laughs> on fights and I'm willing to call out- Give us the answer, Tom! It's easy to stand up to your enemies. It's sometimes harder to stand up to your friends. We all know that. And so what I've been doing is I've been holding a mirror to many of our actions and asking those in our party, those in our leadership positions, to ask themselves, is that what the public really expects? Are you serving the people of the United Kingdom or are you serving your career? Because that's the real question tonight. Your career. That's the I, love, real I love how posh people talk. Right, your career. Who is this government those, isn't it? It's posh not for us, it's not people. for any of us. It's actually for you. This government, this party, only works when it works for you. Again, why did it take you so long to stand up? Even when you said you might like to be leader one day, you didn't call for him to go. I think I made it very clear, very early. Oh, you hinted? No, I don't think I hinted. I think I made it extremely clear very early. He's got no lips as well. I love how, like, this guy is blue blood. Receding hairline, no lips. Correct. And in various parliamentary sessions, I think I was very clear from the beginning because I do owe loyalty and I do believe in loyalty. But I swore loyalty to our country. And that's where I will always owe my loyalty. Rishi Sunak, why should they trust you when you were the second most powerful person in the country? You didn't stand up to Boris Johnson until the very last minute. When did you ever stand up to him about the COVID parties? or Chris Pincher being Deputy Chief Whip? Prasant, I always tried to give the Prime Minister the benefit of the We're talking to the audience member, very yeah. smooth. That became increasingly hard. 
I got to a point recently where enough was enough. We all saw what happened with the Chris Pincher situation. Recently, but also, you mean last Wednesday. <laughs> with the Prime Minister about the future of our economy and how best to tackle it. And it was clear that we had a big disagreement on that. And I decided to resign. I lost confidence and in actually, the Prime Minister once his personal approval ratings went to minus 60. And we're having those same disagreements. <laughs> how virtuous tonight. of you, Rishi. It's because I wanted to be honest with you and everyone else in the country. About I wanted to be Prime Minister. Economically, with inflation, and be responsible about dealing with them, even if it wasn't politically convenient for me. And you've seen that play out over the last few days and weeks of this contest. I'm willing to say difficult things. I'm willing to be honest with all of you about what we're going to have to do, even though lots of people attack me for it, and even though it doesn't make my life any easier. Aww. And that's what you'll get from me in government. Did you ever Honesty go to him? and responsibility in my approach. Did you go to him and say, the parties have got to stop? You've got to get rid of these sexual abusers? Of, of course, I've had disagreements with the Prime Minister in private over the course of my time in office. But what I would say is, I'm not going to walk away from everything that the Prime Minister and this government has done over the past few years. I'm proud of the achievements, notably breaking the Brexit deadlock. And you remember the paralysis our country faced at the time rolling out furlough in record time, the vaccine rollout, and most recently standing up to Putin in Ukraine. Those are all achievements I mean, the thing, he that does, the Prime Minister led that I'm proud of. He does have, have a record. Of. Okay. But as with I said, furlough, right? Like, what does Liz Truss have? Was enough, and I took the decision to resign. The Tory members don't actually right like his record that much. That's why he's kind of a bit more popular with the public. And be responsible yeah, I know, but... Not with the Tory members. Jenny Badenoff, you are probably the least well-known of the candidates amongst ordinary voters. Wouldn't the thing that would restore trust were you to win, be for you to call the general election? Got a kind of Theresa May stance. Because they don't know who you are. Should work on that. Uh, that is not the way that I would go. Uh, no one would know who I was, you say, but then I wouldn't have any time to show who I was. And it's important, uh, with trust, that you show, you don't just tell. Um, it's a really good question. Why should the public trust us? We haven't exactly covered ourselves in glory, and it has, at, on occasion, looked like we were doing this for ourselves. That's not true. But one of the things that we have done wrong is we keep telling people what they want to hear because it's the easy thing to do. It is really hard as a politician to tell difficult truths. And so we avoid saying the things that we need to say. We make promises we can't keep and we try and please everyone. And I think that that has got to stop. And it's why I opened my campaign by saying it's time we tell the truth. I'm not doing this for a job. I'm doing this because there are things that need to be said. And one of the reasons why I resigned from my job was because as a minister, I take collective responsibility, even when I disagree. And now is the time when I want to say what I've been thinking. So you've looked around at government and thought, none of them are as good as me. No, that's not right. I've looked around the government and thought, no one is saying what I want to say. And I think that I have things that need to be heard. Penny Mordaunt, should they trust you? Well, I think it's worth saying why this issue is so important, because it's not just about people up here vying for your vote. The challenges that we are facing right now are very grave indeed. And unless we can actually get our country to pull together, unless we can get people to take a risk and set up a new business, unless we can get people to do particular things for their community and pull together, we are not going to get ourselves out of this situation. And we're not going to be able to capitalise on all the opportunities if that people are there can't do particular things, we can't get out of the situation. This is very dull. We need to pull together. We need people to trust each other. It's a bond between all of us. It's a bond between politicians, business, the charity sector, our communities. And we really do have to now step up and lead. And we do have to create the environment where people can uh, do those things in their communities and move their communities <laughs> on. If we don't have trust, 
This is so boring. This is what I say. Perry, Perry Warden, overrated. People have projected onto her and never heard her speak. Um, I had the opportunity to serve uh, at a higher office in this government. She sounds like uh, a, a probation worker. Prime Minister was longer than the <laughs> traditional one. Okay. I've does. always done that. And I've Serving their communities, processes. I think uh, have to change in our party. Farage, you know who should be uh, hosting this? Farage. I've always done that. But I've never found doing that <laughs> incompatible with serving <laughs> in the government. Just constant raised the eyebrows. There's a massive everything. hit job on you in the newspapers today, hasn't there? Critics, supporters of the other candidates. Yes. Do you support, do you trust all the other candidates to be prime minister? Look, we're all responsible for our own campaigns, and I take it as a big fat compliment. No one wants to run against me. But the campaign I'm running, people can see, is not doing that. I think it's incredibly important if we are going to rebuild trust. Do you trust that we them? stop that the sort of thing? I, th- I would suggest to candidates that they adopt uh, that model. We are here not just to win this contest. We're here to win. An well, you're election. not saying you do trust them. We know. We all. We all They're know. Terrible, aren't they? Uh, I mean, Liz Truss, have you had the dogs out wow. attacking Penny Wardens in the newspapers? I'm running an entirely positive campaign, which is about the great challenges we face and what we need to do to deliver for the people of Britain. Happily, Boris Johnson's doing all my dirty work. A cost of living crisis, families are struggling. And this campaign is about how do we fix the economy? How do we get Britain growing again? That's what I care about. And I think we've got a fantastic. It's a lot clearer than race. Penny Morden. With brilliant people. And I think this, this is shows. About trust. I think this shows. Well, I do trust all of the people who are on this platform with me. I think they're fantastic colleagues. And I think this shows the best of the Conservative Party. Can you say the same, Rishi Sunak? You trust them all? Trust everybody on this panel. This is a fantastic group of people. Every single one up here, Aww. I'm privileged to be amongst them. They offer something exceptional to our party. And so when one of them fires the other ones and they the all call each other assholes, we can share this on Twitter. Do you trust them all to have them in your cabinet if you're elected prime minister? I, I don't think it would be appropriate for any of us. Rishi Sunak's got a kind of I'm, I'm not saying what end of a reality, no, no, reality TV show vibe. Like this is, this is the most amazing group of people I've ever been lucky enough to spend time with. I think they're all really amazing in their different ways. But we're ultimately all part of the same conservative family. And when this is over, we'll all be on the same team working for all of you, because that's the most important thing. Tom Tugendhat is the way to crack yeah, the Yeah, it's a dysfunctional family. To have He's called social services on it. The last <laughs> government. Is that why you're here tonight? That people yes, I think shouldn't it, trust you're all the cabinet ministers. Keeps having I think kids. I trust all of my colleagues here individually, and I think they've made <laughs> the right decision to stand. But what I would say is that if you want a clean start, you need a clean start. You actually need a clean face as well. You need to have a different look. And that's why I'm standing. Different because, look. You look you know, exactly like David Cameron. The moment is when we go into the general election in 2024, <laughs> then this referendum... Nobody would think he's a Tory, by Labour. And we need Tory to politician. Sure we don't lead our country down that path and into the path of destruction that Labour would lead us down. So that's why I'm standing, because I'm ready to serve our country and I'm ready path to lead of destruction. it. There are electronic security tags on fucking mature cheddar. It's clean and ready to change the way we do government in this country. Right, OK. Um, just before we conclude this first part, I want to ask you all a very simple question. Yes or no? Okay. Well, yeah. we started. We started with you about trust, actually. But what? What? what, what do, do you trust them all? Would you have them all in your cabinet? I, I, I do trust them all. I trust Tom because when I was really ill, when I am pregnant, he looked after me in Parliament. I trust Liz and Rishi. They were both my secretaries of state. Penny, I don't know as well. I haven't worked closely with her, but I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt, which I think is. Oh, so there is a doubt. Okay. No, well, no, that's no, interesting. I give, no, there is no <laughs> doubt. But I do. But I do. Think she really wanted to get in just to say that she'd been planning that. You haven't asked me, by the way. Okay, well, let's get, let's get one question, yes or no. Is Boris Johnson honest? 
<laughs> sometimes. Boris <laughs> Johnson. Good answer. Again, I think he is he is somebody who uh, has Just had yes or no will extremely, do. No, I'm, I'm not doing a yes or no. Kemi's answer was I better. We it would be wrong to it would be wrong to do that. There have been some really severe issues, uh, and I think that uh, he has paid a, a price for that. I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt for as long as possible, and ultimately I reached the conclusion that I couldn't, and that's why I resigned. So he is not honest. That, that, that's the, that's and the his question. answer was the yes, worst so far. Th there were a number of reasons that I resigned, yeah. but trust and honesty was part of that. This trust. Is he honest? He has been very clear himself that he made mistakes <laughs> in government, but he had a huge range of achievements. We need Nadine Doris here. He said that some of the yeah. statements issued yes. were not 100% accurate, so I take that at face value. Tom Tugendhat, is Boris right. Johnson an honest man? Easiest round of applause. Right, we are going to stay with trust. We are going to stay with trust. Because I'll, I'll say that he did oh. deliver on the promise. Okay, well, we'll get to that if you want to support him. Fine, Penny, we'll, it's we'll a break. get to that later. It's the break, We are going to stay with trust because it was by an overwhelming margin the thing our audience of floating voters wanted to talk about tonight. But we're going to take a very short break. Back in 90 seconds, you can trust me. I'm glad he told us how long the break was. We were discussing that before the show. 90 seconds we've got, Aaron. Who came out on top and who came out on the bottom when it came to trust? Can we trust Christian Guru Murphy? <laughs> he's the, he's the brother-in-law of Philip Collins, the, uh, the Blairite speechwriter. So mm. uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. Anyway, it was always interesting when he interviewed Philip head. Collins. He would interview Philip Collins on Channel 4 News. You think, you're around the dinner table, like you're literally family. Okay, but there's, there's no... Um, no conflict of interest. What, what do you think? I think basically, I think I'm looking here at Liz Truss and Rishi as the final two. I think Kemi Badenoch is going to do some wrecking on the half of Liz Truss. I think Tom Tugendhat, if he's going to do any wrecking, it's going to suit Rishi Sunak. What do you think? I think Kemi Badenoch is the most persuasive and interesting person to listen to. Like some of her answers, you know, do you trust Boris Johnson? Sometimes, you know, that had some humor in it. And I love that bit of, by the way, you haven't asked me that question. You haven't asked me that question. I like those three. Penny, not sure. Like, <laughs> I think that was quite good. I mean, she's a very scary person. I wouldn't want her to be prime minister, but I think she is one of the people who seems like she can talk a bit more like a human. Penny Morden, as I was expecting, waffly, boring, dull. Tom Tugendhat, I suppose, you know, he got a round of applause in that room for saying that Boris Johnson isn't honest. Probably that's not going to win him many votes in the membership. Potentially, you know, some with the MPs, but he's not playing to win anyway. He's playing to sort of increase his standing both in the party and outside of it. He wants a cabinet job, basically, even though he knows that probably the person who wins won't be on his wing of the party. We're going to continue um, our live reaction to the debate. We're sticking with the subject of trust and transparency for the moment. Our next question comes from Eliza Moore, who works for a marketing company. Eliza, your question. What will you do to make a clean break with Boris Johnson? Penny Morden. Well, I think we all stood together on a manifesto that we've yet to deliver. And I think that actually part of restoring trust is to deliver on that manifesto all the issues we have with COVID and uh, really ensure that public services are delivering. People can't get a, to see a GP or a dentist when they want. They want the basics to run. That is part of restoring trust. But I think we do need to set out a new modern agenda. I'm not a legacy candidate in this contest. I'm focused on the future. And one reason why we, legacy we did candidate. Brexit was because of that future. And I think that whether people voted to leave or remain, 
they want us to get on and deliver those opportunities. So I think it is about a fresh start, but it is also about continuing that narrative of why we left the EU and delivering on public services. Kerry Badnock. Uh, I would change the way that we run government. I would appoint people because they were talented, uh, not because they were loyal. I would trust names. even the people who uh, did not support me to work with me because we're all on the same team. And I think that would be a clean break. I would be truthful about the difficulties that we face as a country. I think, again, as I said earlier, we try and tell people what they want to hear and we try and please everybody. So there won't be any more cakeism with me. Uh, we'll be serious mm, about the challenges. Interesting critique of Boris Johnson. That, those are big criticisms. Are you saying this government basically rewarded loyalty rather than talent? I promoted think, people who supported Boris Johnson. I think loyalty was prized more. Loyalty, loyalty is a very important thing in politics. You can't have people that you can't trust around you. But I think sometimes there wasn't enough trust of colleagues who had um, good criticisms which were not listened to. So this is a question about what you would actually do, how you would change this and stop these things happening again. Tom, Tugan. Well, Eliza, the first thing I'm going to do is run. That's why I'm here, because we need a break. We need a break from the government of the past. We need a break from those who sat around the table, because what we need is a break from those Johnson years, and that's why I'm here. But we need also a break in the way that government has been done. We need a new ministerial standards commissioner. We need to make sure that we can trust our politicians. We need to make sure that we can trust those we elect to serve us, not here to serve themselves. They're not here for any other purpose than to make our government, our country, our people more prosperous, more safe and happier. It's getting more and more meaningless as it goes on. Three things. I think the first is to be honest. And as Kemi said, you can't have your cake and eat it. And when it comes to the economy, we've got some challenges ahead. You are owed my honesty, or whoever your prime minister owes you their honesty about those challenges and a responsible approach to deal with it, even if it's not politically convenient. We can't keep pretending that difficulties don't exist. We can wish them away and try and have everything we want. That's not how life works. You know that. And your prime minister should be honest with you. You know what? That. And I think the Michael, second I have thing a theory. is we need to talk less and do more. Go on. Much of the government is great. Boris Johnson is kind of like that, that ex who's just chaotic. You know, they're malevolent. They're great in bed. You fight all the time. And then you break up and you're like, oh, God. And the third thing. But the Tory party, they now think, you know, Boris Johnson wasn't so bad. We had some good times. Because there's a real dissonance between how affable he was or interesting in 2019 with the leadership race and this bunch. And this bunch, yeah. And people need to see things happening in their communities. They need to see spades in the ground as we level up. They need to see their tax bills coming down. They need to see their that's no one's priority, you know. Coming down. They need practical solutions to the issues that they face now. And I would run a government that didn't overpromise, but focused on delivery. And I've demonstrated that in every job I've had in government. I would also be open and honest and transparent. I think we need to talk with our colleagues right across the Conservative Party, but right across Parliament more. As Foreign Secretary, I've brought people into the Foreign Office. I've talk to them about things before we before we do them. And I think it's also about engagement in including everybody in those discussions. I'm not a cliquey person. I don't just hang around with a group of friends. I believe in meritocracy. I believe in promoting the best people to the job. And I believe in very being very, very clear about She chooses her friends on the basis of meritocracy, and okay. And doing it. And I think that it's only by doing things, it's only by walking the walk, not talking the talk that we really restore trust. Tom Tugendhat, do you think there's any problem 
Having said, the only one here who's was Dominic Cummings said of Liz Truss I read today, as close to properly crackers as anybody I have met in Parliament. Of course there's a problem with it. Of course there's a problem with people being asked to obey rules that those who make them don't obey. Of course that's a problem. We all know it's a problem. This isn't really a secret I'm telling you, I'm afraid. This is absolutely clear and obvious. And we see it. We see it all over the place when we talk to people. Everybody's talking about it because trust really matters. Trust is what holds our families together. It's what holds our communities together. It's what holds our businesses and our, our lives together, frankly. It's why we're able to rely on essential services like the ambulances and the doctors. It's why we're able to, we to rely on them because you've underfunded them for 12 years. It's got nothing to do with trust. Why I chose to serve in businesses. Sorry, I can't pay your wages this week. Will you take some trust? He's talking about you, which is I mean, explain why. Sorry, it's okay to have a prime minister. Sorry, I can't pay my rent. Would you like my trust? It was. It was Fucking a mistake. Fairyland. I apologised for it at the time and I apologise for it again. I wish it had never happened. The reason I was in that cabinet room minutes early for a meeting was because I was there every day working on COVID and working incredibly hard to make sure that we delivered things like the furlough scheme, which protected over 10 million people's jobs, that we supported businesses, families, the NHS and other public services. He through does the come crisis. across as I was in there every day. more substantial than the rest. He does. A day. Working on that, that's what I was also doing. Also being in that room for that and if birthday party with the Tesco sandwiches. I don't judge him for it. And the same type of interventions that benefit this country. Good enough for you, Kami? Uh, yes, that is, uh, that is good enough. I, I worked with Rishi very closely in the Treasury. I was a Treasury minister, I was a junior Treasury minister there. And I, I, I do think that what he has said is, is right. So yes. Okay, can I just turn to the audience for a moment? Just get a show of hands. From what you've heard so far, do you trust politicians right now? Put your hand up if you, if you trust politicians. Which nerd's going to put their no hands sensible, up? No sensible person does. Goodness. Come on. Right. <laughs> Penny Mordant, let's try and clear up some of the things that have Corbyn been... Corbyn was a trustworthy guard. That's why the media hated him. Because uh, there have been all sorts of allegations made about you having a problem either with your memory or, or what the truth was about what you did in government regarding gender recognition. Mm. Um, people say that you were in favour of self-ID, that you freely said a trans woman uh, is a woman, uh, but you kind of redefined your position now and said, no, you weren't in charge, you know, in favour of self-ID and trans women aren't the yeah, same I, as... I can't imagine why uh, people um, are not uh, comprehending what I say and have been regurgitating this issue for, uh, for weeks and weeks, but I'm happy to state uh, my position and, uh, and evidence to back it up. So I took through uh, a consultation looking at uh, the Gender Recognition Act. Um, I've never been in favour of self-ID. I would have made the system much better, but I would not have divorced it from healthcare. I'm a woman. I'm a biological woman. If I had a mastectomy, I would still be a woman. I am <coughs> a biological woman in every cell in my body. I'm also legally a woman. And some people who are born male go through a process and are issued at the end of that process with a legal document in their new gender. And, but that does not mean they are identical to me. They are legally recognised in law, but they are not biological women. I don't believe that we should be on an equal footing in sport and raise that issue four years ago. Uh, and I also had concerns about the volume okay. of young girls going into those services. Can we not? Do you accept 
Penny Morden's account, her, her memory of what happened and what her position was. Uh, I find it go. difficult too, because when I took over as a qualities minister in 2020, the policy that was being pushed was self-ID. So I don't understand how that would have changed unless someone else did it uh, in between. So I, di I didn't work with Penny, but my understanding was that the previous minister who had done the role had wanted self-ID. And that was something that I reversed with uh, Liz. That's, that's not correct, and this will all be on record in, in government. It, it is on record. Right. Well, Liz Truss, you were also involved in this as an equalities minister. Who's right? Well, I'm not going to go around criticising other candidates in truth, this Liz. race. What I will be clear about is I started in the women in equalities job. There was a plan to move forward on self-ID. Exactly. I believe in women's rights. I also believe that transgender people should be treated with respect. Exactly. So what I did is I changed the outcome of that work so that we were able to make the process simpler and kinder, but not move ahead with self-ID, which I think is the right position because I think people understand that women's spaces, you know, domestic violence shelters need to be protected for women. But at the same time, everybody is should be free to live their lives as they want and be treated with respect. So. That is Adam the balance there to keep, I sought to achieve. To keep Penny Mordon out of the okay, final two, right? Mm, yeah. It seems um, like a it. A quick break. We'll be back very soon. Don't go away. Well, you think about the comments with Lord Frost and um, the last few days targeting Mordon to keep her out of the final two. I mean, it probably is probably higher on her agenda while, while she's there, yeah. I mean, it's fairly... I mean, I don't, I don't know much about her experience in office, but it is fairly believable that maybe she wasn't very good at her job. I mean, we don't know anything about her. She doesn't seem to have any achievements. I mean, I think, as far as I understand, people do seem to think, including people that sort of work in you know, LGBT rights, do think that she was in favour of, of self-ID. Obviously, I don't think that should count against her, but it does seem like it's a bit confusing what was her, what was her position on it. I think also, you know, Liz Truss is probably being a bit dishonest there, because I don't think, as far as I understood it, the self-ID rules wouldn't really affect who was and who wasn't allowed in, you know, any any space here or there. So I think it could be a bit of a non-sequitur. Also um, sports as well, right? That's not, that's the whole sports thing is separate from self-ID. Completely separate from self-ID, yeah. Self-ID is about sort of like making your life administratively more easy. It was the Equalities Act that said that people were able to make certain institutions or places based on, mm. you know, what was someone's biological sex when they were born. So, I mean, that would apply to, you know, certain women's spaces, so say like a refuge. Or, or when it came to sports. So I, I think that whole debate is potentially a bit confused. I imagine most people watching that will just think, what are they talking about though? You know, inflation is 9%, public services are collapsing, and they're all talking about the definition of, of a woman. It's, it's a little bit confusing, difficult to follow. Gender Recognition Act reform was always very, very technical anyway. I think it should have really been a technocratic debate instead of this sort of like huge controversy. That section was a bit confusing. That was, that was just trust continued, but they were, Christian Guru Murphy was sort of encouraging them to attack each other. That was, that was the only difference, wasn't it? I think this is being poorly hosted, if I'm, if I'm being frank. You know, the first thing he should have gone on, trust is very ambiguous and you're going to get ambiguous answers. What would you mm. do? 10% inflation going into next year. What would you do as prime minister to deal with that? Then people can outline a plan and certain objectives like trust. What's the objective? You know, it can be a very elusive concept. So I think it's being poorly chaired. But thank God there wasn't Andrew Neil, Michael. I thought they were going to do that for a bit. Oh, Christ. Andrew Neil, old, uh, old Brillo pad. Maybe he could have Skyped in from his apartment in Trump Tower. 
if you're going to get them on trust, maybe be a bit more specific on sort of like the historic things that have brought down the government. You know, at what point should Chris Pincher have been kicked out of the Conservative Party, for example? Yeah. Because you know, obviously it, exactly. it only happened after a, a, a story was written that everyone apparently, you know, I didn't, but everyone apparently knew this already. Yeah. What year should he have been kicked out of the party? Did you know? Were you aware that this guy was handsy? Uh, that, that's the kind of question Michael, that would really you, put people on the spot. Why aren't you hosting this? I would love to. God, that would be fun. I'm not sure they'd agree to it. Be entertaining, though. We're coming back. back to the Conservative Party leadership debate live on Channel 4. Let's see now what our audience of potential Conservative voters thinks so far. I want to get whether you think our politicians understand the scale of the cost of living crisis. What do you think? Uh, well, I'm a head teacher of a secondary school, and what we have seen uh, in our uh, kind of system is real stress around daily tasks. Our students come into us at 11 and 12. They've never been out of a Conservative-led government. They've grown up where they are absolutely used to not seeing doctors, not seeing dentists. That's their reality. They are pushed absolutely to the limit at the moment. The disadvantage gap has grown immensely over the last seven years in particular, but also over the last 12. And actually, when we talk about people being pushed, families being pushed, we often talk about a vulnerable group. Actually, everybody is vulnerable at the moment. The cost of fuel, the cost of food, the cost of texts. Oh, an unfortunate time for buffering because this was a great question, although I am kind of unconvinced she's a potential okay. Tory voter. You know, very much. it's a problem. It's a powerful message. How about you? I mean, do you feel they get it? And what's your experience? So my experience is I started renting in London a couple of years back. Um, my salary hasn't gone up with the, the with inflation. Um, food's going up, rent's going up. Um, and I'm now having to consider moving home with my parents because I'm struggling to make ends meet. Amen. Right. Okay, let's get a question then. Um, a lot of questions on this subject to get through for the candidates. And this is Sharon Williams, who's a full-time carer for her mum. Um, Sharon, I mean, do you want to just tell us about your experience first? Oh, I'm a full-time carer with my dad looking after my mum. Um, my question to you, um, to all of you, is we're hearing about tax cuts. Do they come at the expense of public sector cuts as well? Tom Tugendhat. That's, That's a very question. fair question. And it's an important question because what we've seen in recent years is taxes rising to the highest level in 70 years. So we all feel the squeeze. And it's part of the reason why we don't cost feel of the living squeeze. We all feel the squeeze. Because actually the government, the state... Is taking more the boss of BT on £3.5 million a year is not feeling the squeeze. Well, his call centre works on 22 grand a year. How you spend your money. But public services are essential to all of us. And Sharon, what you're doing with your family is incredibly, incredibly laudable. What you're doing looking after your mother and serving alongside your father is incredibly impressive. But the state needs to be there with you. And so what we need to do is to make sure that the public services are there with you. And that's why we need to rethink how we're doing public services. We need to push power out from the centre and out. Here we go. The defund. Because actually what we need... Privatise. We need to rethink. We need to innovate. It means defund. Empower to take decisions for you. We need ambulance drivers. It means privatise. Empower. It means privatise. For you. The moment so much of it is so centralised, what we need to be doing is to be reaching beyond the centre and making sure it reaches into your home. But what are you going to cut? That's where it really matters. What are you going to cut? It's quite simple. Oh, Cutter services, more money, and they will so work better. To be doing, uh, reintroducing the four-hour A&E and referral target and holding the NHS leadership to account for delivering Give it. Give them more money. It's what we really need Tar to see. Targets without the resources is what bullshit. What we really need to see 
is that level of delivery. Now, we know we've got great doctors. That's not the question. We know we we've got have fabulous ambulance drivers and paramedics. We don't have enough That's of them. That's not the question. The question is about the leadership of the NHS and making sure it delivers for you. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on. The question on. is money. And I know that we can do it. Because leadership. with right leadership... Secretary of State for Health is the leader, and they're shit. Our government, He's just a David Cameron, sure George Osborne, Tory. Delivered. Now, I know I'm ready to serve and ready to lead. And I know there are many people who are ready to serve you too, Sharon. Liz Truss, you're the standard bearer for tax cuts. What would you cut in public well, services? First of all, I understand how much people are struggling at the moment. And that is why I think it is wrong to put up national insurance. It's wrong to be charging people the energy levy on top of their bills at the moment. We need to help people now. And that's why if I was elected as prime minister, I would immediately reverse the national insurance increases, which I called out in cabinet. I was opposed to them in cabinet. I'd also remove the green energy levy so that people had more affordable energy bills, because I understand how difficult it is for people across the country right now. And I would pay for that by spreading the debt that we accumulated during COVID over a longer period. On the never-never. Our, our debt, that is an interesting answer, fair enough. Our government debt is lower than Canada, it's lower than the US, it's wow. lower than Japan. And I think it's simply wrong at this time when people are struggling and when we are able to put more money into debt to, because COVID is a one in a hundred year event. We need Deficit to pay for funded it over tax the long cuts. term. That is I really think it's new. wrong that ordinary people are bearing like James Meadway. all of that cost of okay. COVID so soon. Yeah. Rishi Sunak, can you Deficit tell the I'd use that yeah. money to middle. fund public services, not give tax cuts, yeah. but there we go. Yeah. Because public services all all tax are cuts incredibly to, important. To, to low income earners, right? I mean, she's kind of proposing that because national insurance. And that's why, and that's why, after the pandemic, I had to make an incredibly difficult decision, a particularly difficult decision for me as a Conservative because we believe in low taxes. But the NHS is under enormous pressure. The backlogs, many of your family will be on a waiting list to get a cancer treatment or surgery. And it was not acceptable to me not to properly fund the NHS, the amazing doctors and nurses we have, given the resources they need to help get those treatments done, to help improve all the problems that we saw. It was a mistake that Liz Truss didn't even talk about the so NHS. She just ignored public services. It was politically inconvenient for me. And even though I'm now getting attacked for it and many people up here want to reverse it, I wanted to make sure that the NHS, our number one priority, was properly funded. And if I'm Prime Minister, you can be assured that the NHS will continue to be my number one public service priority. But why, but why is this idea that you can cut tax and stick it on the debt a fairy tale? Just no, I, I, I mean, I just, you know, there's no such thing as COVID debt. Debt is debt. And the answer to too much <laughs> borrowing can't be Profound, yet more you. borrowing. It's as simple as that. We are borrowing less as a proportion of our GDP than the US is, than Canada this is, is interesting. than Japan is. They have taken a sensible decision that at this time of a global economic crisis, just when we're trying to help businesses grow, just when we're trying to help families, <coughs> it is not the right time to put up taxes. I this believe is also a really big red right line with Labour, right? And we should take a similar approach. Labour said we won't, so you know, we, we're like deficit hawks. Is different. But the number one challenge we face here, the number one challenge is inflation. You guys all see it, right? All your bills every week, every month, they're going up and up and up. The most pressing economic priority for the new prime minister and the new government is to grip inflation. 
We cannot make it worse. Inflation is the enemy that makes everybody poorer. It erodes your savings. It erodes your living standards. It means that those of you that have mortgages will see your interest rates go up higher and higher. So I don't think the responsible thing to do right now is launch into some unfunded spree of borrowing and more debt. That will just make inflation worse. It will make the problem longer. It's my landlord that makes me poorer. It's not inflation per se. Because of our monetary policy, that we haven't been tough enough on the monetary supply. That's also, the way I would address that issue. Lose value, right? But it is wrong. Interest rates up. So mortgage is nightmare. Yeah. The value it of is, your is, mortgage of your landlord is eroding. She's saying it can raise interest rate. rates, but out of inflation keep taxes low. It's a fairy tale. I think it is wrong to put yeah, taxes in, up because that is what we're talking about. Kemi. The discussion that they're having shows the difficulties that we have as politicians. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. Every decision we make has a cost somewhere else. And we do make these decisions with the best intent, but each one is going to have difficulties that we need to work out. I completely understand where you're coming from, Sharon. I lost my father at the beginning of this year, and he was very, very ill, and he needed quite a lot of caring. I couldn't cope. It required so much help and attention. And I don't understand how so many people cope uh, being long-term carers. I think that we need to pay tribute to them and we need to make social care and the care workers uh, more, we need to treat them with more prestige. Those jobs are so crucial to delivering the care that we need in an aging population. But one other thing that I do... Sorry, this is a question about cuts and public yes, services. No, no, so, yeah. Yes, let me get to that. The point, the point about um, cutting public's, uh, the public sector is that you don't necessarily have to do that if you have growth. The argument about tax cuts sometimes sounds as if we're talking about tax cuts for their own sake. That is not why we have them. Tax cuts are there to let people keep more of their own money so that they can deal with inflation and uh, cost of living issues. That's why we do it. It's not so that we can cut public services. And there are other ways to do, and there are other ways to do both. It's just that the decisions that we take have trade-offs and we need to be very careful how we do them. Penny Morden. There are that was a non-answer. That didn't make any to, sense. To the issue that was raised particularly. My economic platform is not based on tax and spend. It's based on growth and competition. And although I have put forward some uh, immediate targeted support to help with the cost of living. I've not done what other candidates have done and said that I will uh, reduce a load of taxes, including uh, the um, national insurance, uh, 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 reversing that, because that is linked as our plan to social care. And the bit we haven't really done on that policy (coughs) is work up that plan on social care. We haven't even done the work with the insurance sector on which it is based. There are, though, lots of things that we can do to alleviate the pressures locally in health and social care. I'll just give you, I know we're short on time, just give you one example. For GPs and dentists, if we had a centralised list of patients needing to see a GP or emergency dental treatment, when someone doesn't show up for an appointment, of which there are millions uh, this is tinkering year. around the edges. Uh, people could just draw down on those patients. There are, we have got okay. smarter. We'll come to the NHS in a moment. Are they going to get there in 10 minutes? Where's this growth coming from? What are you going to do to suddenly transform the British economy? You know, there are many GP things in Sunderland, hello? Is this, is, is this Greg in Glasgow? Would you like to go? We, we can see you about that dodgy knee tomorrow if you want to come down. Been done. But we actually it's not tomorrow. If they don't turn up, it's now. Barriers to investment coming in things that are stopping innovation. Uh, We have to put real incentives in place, which are going to uh, make things happen that wouldn't otherwise have happened and people getting uh, some payback for that. Many, many things. And that's, that's a 
really needs supply side reforms. And those are some of the things that I've been doing at the Department Can, can I just trade. clarify something? Because Penny, I thought you said Ooh. you hadn't promised tax tax cuts. I, th- I thought you had said that there should be a dramatic reduction in VAT on petrol and also yeah. that an increase in the all the income tax thresholds. Yeah, I that's think right. That's been Actually, the thing I just said, I didn't like say that. That's right. Billion pounds. So how, how are you going to pay for that? So I have done two things. One, one is on uh, raising income thresholds in line with inflation. Um, but also, uh, yes, I have said that I will halve VAT uh, on fuel at the pump, saving the average family That's about a tax cut. pounds every time they fill up. We have now, Richie, got to do some targeted support for people. The, there are, but answer his question. How are you well, there, pay for is, it? there is income. There is uh, an increase in income coming into the exchequer. And on, I love the way uh, we frame these debates. On uh, the, uh, in, the, the income thresholds. Borrowing, though, no, right? no. The, on the I mean, income thresholds rising with inflation. This is about forecasts. Uh, it's their money. <laughs> it's not that, the exchequer's it, money. That's exactly And I'm not. Right. I'm not going to. Uh, you know, take more money off people than we need to. But these are these are limited, timely, targeted support. What I'm not doing in this contest, because it is the wrong place, is set levels for corporation tax and other taxation. But even the even wrong. the pledges you've made are a double-digit billion pound promises. The best way to help everyone, the best way to make sure that they have money in their pocket, is to get a grip of inflation, and that should be everybody's but, priority because that's the things, thing that is going to erode things, everyone's Rishi, living that standards. You haven't realised is I know you know people are going to need more help this autumn, but actually people need help now. And you are going to have to do something on taxation. Next April, we are going to be one of the most uncompetitive nations in terms of our tax competitiveness in this country. That we have the, we, we still have the lowest corporation tax in the G7. You cannot tax your way to grace. I think it is wrong that we are putting up tax either. just at this vital time in the economic cycle when we're trying to attract investment around our country. What I want to see is low tax zones all around the country so we can encourage people to come and set up businesses, build houses, invest in Britain. And that requires not just a low tax rate, but also doing the supply side reforms. Solvency How do we become a wealthy country? We need to start looking like a developing one. So we can invest That's it how we become in high-tech businesses. Okay. We need more unicorns. We need more decacorns. But the way to get that is not raising taxes. This is completely right, where are you the wrong on this debate, to do that. California has a higher tax rate than us, and they have way more unicorns than we do. For the rise in national insurance. And it now seems everybody agrees with me. So, so you wouldn't have given the money to the health service? What I would have done is I would have used the £30 billion overspend, underspend, sorry, forgive me, in the OBR forecast, which is there. And that's there because the interest rates... Are... Oh, that's causing a laugh. But, <laughs> but that's there. We've got to be honest with people. Like, we are Sharon's honest. question was about public services. Yeah. And are we going to fund public services like the NHS properly? Yes, and you know what? When the NHS needed the resources to tackle these unbelievable backlogs to reform social care, I did a difficult thing to make sure that the NHS got Rishi, the money it needed, you, and you voted against it. To be, and that's fa- rea- that's reality. to be fair to you, Rishi, what we did is we had a long conversation about it, and you set out your position, and I asked why on earth this was going to be necessary, and you told me because the boss wanted it. Now, the reality is... The reality is this is a decision that I didn't support because it's a tax on jobs at a time when you know we what? growth. The, the, the Prime no. Minister did want to tackle the COVID backlogs and he was right to want to Let do him that, just actually. Yeah, so I... I did support him in doing that. But it's also right that Talk when we want that. to do things, we have to pay for them. It's you, also... got, you guys know that. Everyone watching this debate knows that you don't get something for nothing. 
It's if all... we are going to invest in public services, then we do have to oh, pay wait. for those. Tom, you gonna... What we it's get is nothing true, for however, something. We pay taxes and get talk to increasingly poor they public services. They don't talk to me about corporation tax. They don't talk to me about taxation quite as much as I thought they would. What they actually talk to me about is predictable investment. So what I've been talking about is full expensing, permanent full expensing, which allows businesses to invest, to invest in training, to invest in all of us, to invest in the machinery that grows productivity and makes wages go up, to invest in the United Kingdom, to invest in our future. That's what I really want to see in businesses. That's what I hear from businesses when I talk to them. And you know what? That's what we should be doing if we're going to be serving business and delivering the results that we all need. Just finally, Kemi Badenoch, I mean, you wrote a piece saying you wanted your... Um, tax cuts to be broad but focused today. Uh, isn't broad and focused the opposite? I mean, how do you do that? Uh, basically, first of all, by not rushing uh, to promise uh, everything in, uh, immediately, but actually making sure that it covers a broad range of people, but picking specific taxes. So something that I gave uh, as an example of what I would do is removing fuel, uh, reducing fuel duty. That's something that would impact millions of people. But it's, it's one thing. It's not, every, it's not um, uh, doing lots of different taxes. Okay, you're an engineer, not an economist. That's true. I am an yeah. engineer. And the, the, the way I think about the, these things is looking at the problem you're trying to solve. I'm a systems thinker. And it's, uh, the, the truth is that there will always be difficult decisions. It's very easy for Tom to say, I didn't vote for this, I didn't vote for that. He didn't have any responsibility. Yeah. It's easy to sit at the back of the class and tell everybody what they're doing is wrong. When he has to be a minister, he's going to have to take difficult decisions. I think I'm responsible to the British people who voted for me. Okay. No, they we we can also do some things for free, and I hope at a moment of unity, everyone agree that if we uh, could simplify the tax system, uh, we would dramatically reduce the costs for businesses. Yeah. You've been in charge for 12 compliant. years. So there's lots of things that we you can simplify do. simplify a tax system. Uh, still, you, you've been running the tax system. Okay, more on this after the break. Just stay with me. That was... That was genuinely interesting, that bit. I mean, because you, you do have some distinct positions which, you know, have some substance between them. So Rishi Sunak is saying, we need to, you know, we, we can't spend more than we take in tax. And that's why I have increased taxes. Now, you know, taxes are higher than they've, they've, they've been for a long time. And then you've got Liz Truss saying, obviously, we, you know, I, I think he should have taxed wealth and high income earners instead of national insurance. But, you know, it, it's consistent what he's saying. He increased taxes because he wants to fund public services. You've got Liz Truss saying... I can cut taxes and I won't have to cut public services because we're going to let the debt go way, or, way out into the future. And then you've got Penny Mordaunt, who I don't actually think understands the debate at all because she says, I'm not going to commit to any tax cuts. And then Rishi Sunak quite rightly points out she's committed to you know, double-digit billion figures in tax cuts because if she, what she's promised essentially is to say the threshold for when you start paying the higher rate of, of, of income tax, that will rise in line with inflation. Now, the Treasury at the moment, when inflation happens, they get way more in their coffers because more people are pushed into that higher band. Now, she can say that's not a tax cut, but it does lose the Treasury billions of pounds, which is why Rishi Sunak is, is standing there going like, what, what's going on here? Exactly the same with the, with the fuel tax. Who are you finding most convincing, Aaron? Well, I think the most sort of in intellectually coherent are Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. And I don't think that's a surprise. You know, Liz Truss is saying, I want to reduce tax. I think we need to have lower taxes to have more innovation, to have more growth. And we're going to fund that through deficit funding because actually our deficit is smaller than Canada and the US and other countries in the G7. Now, you and I would disagree with that. We disagree that low, low taxes mean high growth. Look at the last 12 years. We had 15% corporation tax under Cameron, under Osborne. And actually, that's when you saw the biggest malaise in UK productivity and economic growth in, in more than a century, in a really long time, actually, since the Industrial Revolution, if you want to really look at it in terms of productivity. 
So we would disagree with her on that, but actually, at least it's intellectually coherent. Penny Mordaunt, like you say, she says one thing, actually, she's leaving out a big part of her prospectus, kind of undermines her seriousness, right? She could be the Prime Minister, Michael. She's saying, I don't think we should have tax cuts. And then he's saying, well, you've, you've, you've got tax cuts. And like I say, they're rather large. And then there's Sunak and the big dividing line between Sunak and, and Truss is on the deficit. What would be interesting is, is, if, is if you do have Liz Truss as Prime Minister and she's you know using the deficit to fund very popular tax cuts, what's Labour's position going to be? Oh, we can't have deficit funding. Or are they going to say, no, we should use the deficit to rapidly decarbonize, to build homes, to increase living standards, to improve public services, which is the correct position, by the way. So interesting. Interesting lines, like you say. That bit was infinitely better than the first two. Yeah, I mean, that, that should be the Labour line, right? Yeah, it's, it's right to borrow in the situation. We, we do have comparatively low debt. Let's have another question, this time from Rajan Bilku, who is from Birmingham. Rajan. Uh, people are already struggling with paying their energy bills. What will you do to help when prices increase further in the winter? Kemi Badenor. Uh, Rajan, thank you for your, for your question. Energy is a subject that worries me a lot. I grew up uh, in Nigeria where there were rolling blackouts every single day. There still are. I know what it's like not to be able to uh, turn on the lights. So it terrifies me seeing how high bills are, how high bills are going. I think one of the things that we can easily do is remove some of the green levies. We do need to tackle climate change, but I think the crisis that we're dealing with now comes first and we need to make life easier for people. Sometimes government, when it's trying to do good, actually makes life more difficult. I can't imagine what it would be like having uh, energy bills be several thousands of pounds as some people will be facing. So we must tackle that ASAP. Um, Liz Truss. We do need to remove the green energy levy and find a better way of delivering our net zero targets because we're hammering consumers, but we're also hammering businesses. And our number one priority should be getting more economic growth. And the way we're going to do that is through industries, whether it's our ceramics industry, she our steel industry, cuts, our car industry. All of those are affected by the green levy. We also need to do better at improving our energy supplies. I'm dealing with the appalling invasion by Vladimir Putin of Ukraine. It's pushed up global energy bills and it's made us realize how wrong it was for so much of Europe to become dependent on Russian gas. So my view is we need to be using (coughs) gas as a transition fuel, exploiting our reserves in the North Sea. We also need to be building more nuclear fired power stations. We also need to do more small modular nuclear reactors, which are produced in Derbyshire, and that can actually bring jobs and employment to the area as well. So I think we've got a huge challenge ahead. But at this very, very difficult time... like one in Russia... We shouldn't be hammering consumers with the green energy level. Okay, let's just clarify. How much will that save off a average bill that's going to go to about three and a half thousand pounds? Well, it's around a hundred and fifty pounds. You'll knock a whole one hundred and fifty. It's one hundred and fifty pounds off a bill of three three and a half thousand. All of the proposals. Do you think that's going to solve this problem? All of the solutions I'm putting forward <coughs> are about reducing the impact on consumers. We can't completely eliminate it. We are facing very strong global headwinds. But I can assure you, as Prime Minister, I will do everything in my power to make life easier and better for people whilst taking the difficult decisions that are going to power our economy in the long term, such as investing in the energy Michael, we're an hour we should have this. invested in years ago, like nuclear, like having more gas energy, like... He's not mentioned it's going to be 41 to degrees next week. Now because mm. the fact is... 
growth in this country has not been high a lot, doesn't it? for several decades. And how is she going to fund that? Because the issue is, dealing with the if she says, I'm going to do deficit funding and that's how I'm going to invest in all of this new green energy, that would be coherent. But what she said, she said she's going to do deficit spending, but that's all going to fund tax cuts. So if, if you're using all of that to fund the tax cuts, then how, where are you getting this investment for the green energy? Well, the tax cuts will mean more growth, which will mean more tax revenues, which will pay for the green energy. I mean, it's obviously fucking nonsense. Tom, you're sort of making faces there. What was that about? I was merely expressing slight surprise, but I think one of the things that we should be looking at right now is indeed, as Rajan says, bringing down bills as quickly as we can. But having called out Putin's uh, criminality and aggression towards us really since 2017, 2018, I'm delighted others are now doing the same. This is something we've been facing for a really long time. Let's be honest. The problem of energy as a weapon against us is not new. This has been going on for years, and that's why I called out Nord Stream 2, that gas pipeline that's supposed to link Russia and Germany. And that's why when we've been seeing Nord Stream 1 now used as a weapon against Germany, we're seeing energy prices. Let me just remind you, the question is about What we winter. need to be doing is to be bringing down prices now. That's why I've spoken about cutting fuel duty. Why does he mention EDF being nationalised by France, Michael? How we deliver welfare better, how we deliver the household support fund better, and how we make sure that homes like yours Maybe are actually insulated. Because although it's hugely important that we get nuclear... Fantastic export industry, by the way. Brilliant for the UK economy. Of course we need to deliver nuclear. Of course we need to deliver carbon capture and storage. But today, this year... We can't even build nuclear stations here. We're going to export them. It's about heat Mm. today. So what does welfare better mean? The French and the Russians export them. Well, it may mean some targeted benefits, yes. But it doesn't mean it for everybody. Because some of us are lucky enough to be able to afford our bills at the moment. Rishi Sunak. Arajan, this is a thing that I've been spending the most time on in the last few months that I was Chancellor and energy is the bill that is causing the most anxiety for millions of families across the country because it's going to go up over a thousand pounds this year year over year and that is just an enormous sum for millions of people to come up with it's actually impossible for many of them to do so no matter how hard they work how many extra jobs they take how many holidays or other nice things they sacrifice so that's why one of the last (coughs) things i did in this job was to announce a significant amount of support for the country to help get through the autumn and the winter when those bills go up. And everyone's going to get some help, but as a result of the decisions I took. But the most vulnerable in our society, a third of all households, the people we really want to make sure don't starve and don't go without, are going to receive around £1,200 in the different ways that they'll get the help. And I know it's not going to solve the whole problem and no one standing here could pretend that they could, but it's going to make a significant difference to those people's lives and it's right that we target our help on those who... The average bills it. are going up again, so should the help go up again? That, as I said, no, no government, no one standing here could pretend that they could solve the whole problem. So but that's £1,200 of support for the most vulnerable. But look, that's how we... I mean, it is a lot more substantial than cutting the green levy, which is 120 quid. The only way to solve this problem is to do two things. One is to improve the energy efficiency of all our homes. And actually, as a country, we stand out as having poorly insulated homes. That means all your bills are higher than they need to be. And we've got money for that, but we need to deploy You've it. Been to the You've been the chancellor. You've been the chancellor and not done that. But also we need and all reporting suggests that when anyone wants to invest in that kind of thing, he says no. Or natural gas when doing all those things too. Did Rishi Sunak do enough? So I think he has done enough to date, but things are going to be incredibly difficult uh, in the autumn and it may be the case that this needs to be revisited. But I would point to two other things that we do need to grapple with. And again, uh, people who are... Uh, taking and particularly shopping around for who their energy supplier is, 
quite a lot of low-cost energy, um, which is growing from renewables, those cost savings are not being passed on to the consumer. There is also an issue where people have moved supplier of the supplier hanging on to credit and, and uh, uh, are not helping the consumer. And we need to be uh, more on the front foot on that. And just a final point, and this sounds like a, a small amount of money, but for some people it is a, it's a huge amount of money. This is moving the way the standing the charge is worked out on some bills, I think does need to be looked at. By getting rid of the green levels. Because bills are going up by hundreds of pounds more than we thought this year. And none of you are saying you want to do anything more. You're sort of hinting. Hang, 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 hang on, Chris. Hang on, Chris. Just to be clear, actually, the, the government, and it's wrong that you should mis-worry mis people on this, because it's really important for people to know that over the course of this year, people are going to receive up to £1,200 Some in direct help. Yeah, a third of all people, the most vulnerable in our society, whether that's those on benefits, whether it's pensioners or... or and what is their average right, bill? Right, and it's what right. is their given, average given, bill? It's right that we can't... It, you all know that like, no government could credibly, honestly stand here and they could say they could make this problem disappear. And it would be wrong for anyone to tell but you But what is their can. average France bill did. for the people who are getting... The, 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 average bill, the average bill... 4% rise in energy prices. ...by around £1,200, give or take. We don't know yet, but that's roughly the scale of what the average bill increase is going to be this year versus last year. And those most vulnerable in our society as a result of the decisions that I took, that this government that we are all a part of did, means that those most vulnerable people are going to get around £1,200. £1,200 so is incidentally how much more I have I to pay that, for a small right. room in Hackney next year. All of this money that we're talking about is still, <laughs> money, flat. Is still taxpayers' money. It's, mm -hmm. coming, it's not coming from a magic money tree. We saw this, and, and, and we know that things oh, are going to be difficult, but we also saw, saw in furlough That's a meme what happened. Liz Trust just said she'd found it. That was going to pay uh, for the tax cuts. That also contributed to inflation. All of these things we do have knock-on effects. So we have to be very careful about the solutions that we put forward. We shouldn't be made out as not caring because we're doing the right thing with looking after the country's finances and looking after your finances. The energy rebates and so many of the other things, such as the council tax rebates, which we are giving in order to make people's lives easier, are actually difficult decisions that are going to have costs elsewhere. And we must stress that. It isn't right to make it seem as if the government is keeping something away from people. It is your money. Okay, let me just do a quick show of hands. You've heard them all. Um, is the government and all the candidates for government proposing to do enough to ease the cost of living, in particular your, your energy bills? Yeah. Show of hands, if you think they're, they're doing enough. That's one person over there. Two. Okay, fine. Um, three, interesting. I think. In, in These are supposed to be swing voters. D does that give you pause for thought, Rishi Sunak? Or do you just think people are always going to want more help? I think I think it's an extraordinarily difficult situation. As as we all know, we're grappling with once in a generation type inflation. And for anyone to stand here and pretend that it is easy to make that go away for people is not being honest with you. And I'm not going to do that. But what we can do is target the help that we can afford on those who most need it. That's what we've done. Now, everyone will have their own view if People think that £1,200 is not a significant amount of money. Fine. But I know, because I spent my time going around the country talking to people about this and figuring out how to help them, I know that there are millions of people who are very grateful for that because it will make an enormous difference to them and it will help them put food on the table. It will help them pay those bills and keep them out of poverty. And I'm glad that we did it. But You can imagine him in a debate said, with Keir Starmer saying, you promised everything. £500 off people's bills. If you care yeah. about this, so, it's for us to get a grip of inflation and get it out of our system as quickly as possible. And that's why 
I'm so worried about promises that mean we should just borrow, 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 because all that's going to do is make this problem worse and make it last for What about rent controls, price controls? That's, that's what's what going to bring inflation down. Henning Morgan. I think that we have to be careful that this contest, and I think this is absolutely right, this contest is not the place. You, you all want a flavour of the principles that we'll be working on. I'm working on the principles of growth and uh, the ability of this nation to compete. But this is not the place to set a budget or uh, have a fiscal But event. she's already promised I think there over £10 billion pounds in tax cuts. That's why it's completely inconsistent, her platform. It would be my priority in government because we need to be supporting people. And if this, co this country is going to recover and grow the economy after COVID, uh, we have to keep people going. We have to take those stresses away from them, and we have to support the most vulnerable in our society. Okay, we're going to take a break there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, don't go far. We'll be back very soon. Aaron, a question for you, given that was on the economy. Who is Penny Morden reportedly going to make her chancellor if she wins? The answer's quite scary. Cool, that's a great question. I would have thought like Sajid Javid or somebody. Go on, surprise me. Andrea Leadsom is set to be her chancellor. Uh, That's what Politico are reporting. Because Andrea Leadsom is running her campaign. And actually, if you look at Penny Morden, the people who are following is that, her is the right motley crew. Go on. Is that Alex Wickham reporting that? Um, I'm not sure precisely who is reporting that. I mean, he's at Bloomberg. Oh, no, now, he so. left Politico. He's at, he's at Bloomberg, yeah. yeah. No, because there are... No, but Michael, look, I think every, everything that... All the reporting on Penny Morden, I think there has to be a little bit of a pinch of salt, Michael, mm. because clearly you've got... She's made a lot of enemies by the looks of it, right? We didn't know that until this week, but she clearly has. Andrew Ledsom launched her campaign, so she's, she, you know, she's not making efforts to suggest um, that she wouldn't be. And it does seem to me that no one on Penny Morden's campaign understands economics, because it, 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 it is completely incoherent what she's coming out with. Obviously, I think the priorities of Rishi Sunak are wrong, and I think the priorities of Liz Truss are wrong. But they do seem to have you know, some economists advising them, because both of what they've come forward with is somewhat coherent. Penny Morden's just complete nonsense. I think if MPs have any sense, this could be a really uh, damaging debate for Penny Morden. Um, Tom Tugendhat, popular in the room. Kemi Badenoch, actually a bit underwhelming because I don't think she has that much to say on the economy, actually. Um, so yeah, she, she hasn't come forward with much of interest. I'm hoping that there's going to be some proper questions on climate change coming up. Because as I say, this is Channel 4. They've hosted climate debates before. It is set to breach 40 degrees next week. So it would make sense for this to be a time to say, what are your commitments? And not just let them get away with saying, oh, we'll invest in, or you know, we'll, we'll promote innovation in, in green energy. How are you going to do that? What, what money are you going to put forward to do that? Where are you going to find that money? Are you going to borrow for it? If you've already promised all of that money in tax cuts, how's that going to happen? These are the questions I would like to see coming up next. I'm hoping that Channel 4 don't go down the route of you know asking them about trans rights, although I suppose they have already somewhat covered that. Um, Aaron, what are you most uh, hoping comes up in the rest of this debate? Who do they want to win Love Island? No, I mean, seriously, I, I'm glad they mentioned energy. Of course, the environment matters for me. Most, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what's there to ask, Michael? You know, Keir Starmer, maybe, go in on Labour. What have Labour got wrong? What's, or say a good thing about Labour in the last sort of two years and a policy of theirs you agree with? That's the kind of question you ask, Michael, because you're a very, you know, professional, assiduous interviewer. In terms of really getting... It's not tasty, Michael. I'll finish with this. I'll make this point very quickly. 
we've had Brexit. We had Farage, we had Scottish independence, we had, you know, Nicholas Sturgeon, Jeremy Corbyn, Boris Johnson. Politics had ideas, it was quite exciting. The media pined, they whimpered, they simped, they whinged, they craved a return to politics being quite boring. And it turns out that politics being quite boring, I mean, you've still got Liz Truss, so it's still a little bit crazy, but not as crazy as before with Boris Johnson. It turns out that even with quite boring people, they still have absolutely no idea about how to solve social and economic challenges. So the idea of we just want boring oh, we're politicians back to the final in and of itself is a, is, a bad, is a bad place to be. How will you deal with the NHS backlog when funding has not reached the front line? Doctor, thank you, first of all, for what you and all your colleagues and everyone else in the NHS did for us over the last two years. It's heroic and we owe you an enormous debt of gratitude. So what you do is personal to me. My mum was a chemist and my dad was an NHS GP. So I grew up in a medical family in primary care. Most of my extended family, one way or another, are all doing the same thing. So I know how valuable the work you do is and what a difference it makes. You know, as we were touching on in the last discussion, I really believe in the NHS. As I said, I grew up in it and I know it's everyone's priority. And coming out of COVID, I know the challenges that you're facing. I know that there's people piling up on waiting lists, but I also know that you and your colleagues want to work really hard to get those down and make sure people get the care they need and make sure that we get the social care need as well, because we saw that that didn't work as well as it should have done during COVID. And as I said, I took what was a difficult decision. It was not a politically convenient decision, as you're seeing tonight, for me to create a new way for us to fund the NHS and social care so that you and your <laughs> colleagues and everyone who relies on the NHS would have the certainty that it gets the funding it needs, not just today, but for years into the future. Okay. So if you want to ask, do I care about the NHS? Am I going to back it? I mean, you know I will, because I've done it at enormous cost to me politically. Right. It, it's, it's how you deal with the backlog is the question, Kemi. Uh, the backlog is terrifying. Um, I don't know how, how much of viewers can see my teeth. I chipped my tooth uh, several months ago. I haven't been able to get a dental appointment to fix it. I know how hard it is to get appointments at the moment. I see it in my constituency with people, not just uh, a dentist, but GP appointments. You won't have a plan. Not getting face-to-face appointments and uh, not being able to get the treatments that they need in hospital. COVID has done so much damage to our country. So many people on waiting lists, and it's um, it is an emergency situation, but we feel it too. The we Tories did so much damage to this NHS country, and our families are affected. I think one of the problems that we have to um, that we have to address now is that the NHS is having more money put into it than ever before, but it also has so many more pressures. Not least of all, an aging uh, population with more complex medical needs. All of those things need to be dealt with in tandem. The backlog won't be dealt with if we don't find better and more efficient ways of running our NHS. Yes, we need more doctors. Just give it more money. Yes, we need more nurses. We always do. But there must be things that we can do differently that will improve how we tackle these issues so that people don't have to... Pay nurses more. Get, get more nurses. There's, there's many Tr- things... Pay to train more nurses. Pay to train more doctors. It's not rocket science. slightly more long-term. Yeah. In addition to being pay nurses more than they would earn in little, maybe they'll stay. Organization in Europe, prevention is a really important part of balancing our NHS and making sure it can cope going forward. Secondly, there's much more we can do to enable our healthcare professionals and the services there to get more out of the system. I'll give you one example, which more out of the system. uh, They're already uh, uh, at their limit. This year, which is about fifty million quid extra to help. Uh, with dentistry, we put caveats on how it could be spent. So if you had dentists and dental chairs sat there waiting in the contracted hours that that uh, 
provider was uh, working, they couldn't use the money to treat patients. Uh, they had to open again at the weekend, for example, in order to access that money. That's not sensible. So we should stop as a government putting caveats on what healthcare professionals can use that funding for. What we want them to do is to treat more patients. And okay. the final thing is innovation. The top 180 yep. innovations that we've had on medical devices and all sorts of stuff that's improving care around the world, how many are used in the NHS? Let's trust. None. Well, clearly the That's NHS did a fantastic job. That's not true. And all the doctors and nurses. No, I don't believe the it. The NHS, the NHS uses liquid biopsies for cancer. Crisis, but it did it's piloted them since 2020. Absolutely not true. Normal operations that people are expecting. And we need to work as hard as we can. And I know our health department does this work as hard as we can to reduce that backlog. And that's so why, why are you prioritizing the extra tax cuts? money uh, has been put in the NHS. If there's I money around, the why not put money. it to the I NHS? I just don't support the way we funded it. As you know, I support spreading the case so how are you going to fund it? Uh, over a longer period of time. So that's really already covered the tax cuts. To help patients in rural areas. I'm a rural MP. Uh, some of the ambulance waiting times in Norfolk are appalling. Uh, I'm very focused on improving those results, improving that service right from end to end in the National Health Service. Okay. We also need to make Christian sure Grimmerfer, more is available to say, Is that because of austerity? So people aren't going to go to accident emergency. It's they not aren't having no to go to hospital. They're getting more service Tom in the local community. Thank you. Look, um, the NHS is personal to all of us. When my friends were injured in Afghanistan and they came oh, home, oh, they were picked me. up by the Royal Air Force first. Did you know I was a soldier? The NHS for care, so thank you. You brought many of my friends back to life, and oh, for that I will be eternally grateful. It's been extraordinarily. Okay. Get on with the answer, please. For me. You've also given me two children, so I'm also grateful oh, for that. This guy, oh, you man, that's pretty news to her, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why. There's a reason why, at times of crisis, this country often turns to military planners. Because what we're looking for is we're looking to drive leadership and efficiency into processes. We're oh, we've, we've had 12 years of efficiency in the NHS. It needs more money. You know, we've heard that these have been very difficult years. And I must say, I pay enormous tribute to you and to your colleagues in the caring professions who really... Oh, my God. This guy should be doing cameos for people's birthdays, not fucking running the country. Okay. In the last few years. There's much more we need to do. I want to All thank right, you. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, great. Um, we've got one last... Can say anything. There you go. Um, Fuck off. Not a lot of time, so I'm going to ask you to be brief on, on this. Uh, Lindsay Muir is a lecturer from Lincolnshire. What's your question? Uh, how would you create a green economy? Good question. Liz Truss. Well, I'm, I'm very, very committed to delivering on the environment, and it's about reducing the use of carbon and hitting our net zero target. <laughs> but it's also about She's got supporting the biodiversity across the country, making sure we're encouraging uh, more wildlife. And I would launch... This is like the introduction to a key stage free geography textbook. Nature for the United Are you committed Kingdom. to net zero? I'm By 2050? I am committed... Even to though net, you're going to scrap the green light. I am committed to net Ask zero. I think we deliver it in a better way. I've talked about uh, using more nuclear power... Uh, making sure we've got a strong, strong transition with gas. But I think it's very important that the environment is about net zero, but it's also about nature. And currently the natural habitats okay. directive we've inherited from the EU is about nature across Europe. What I want to do is a specific British survey, understanding exactly which species are endangered so we can help. Kimmy Badlock, that's interesting. That seems like a to change Tory members. She must know something about anyway, them. Is committing political suicide. 
right or wrong? Uh, I, uh, I think he's. I think he's wrong. The pledge was made in 2018 for 2050. None of us are going to be here uh, as politicians in 2050. It's very easy to set a target which you're not going to be responsible and accountable wow. for. When Scary. The time She's comes. dropping it. I think the important thing is to make sure that we do this in a sustainable way. Many of the things we're doing. Politicians clearly plan for several we decades ahead. We do that for all sorts of things. 44%. If we do damage to our economy, other countries in the world will If you're not getting to net zero, it's not sustainable So you've changed definition. our targets now? No, no, it's not that. It's the, the target in and of itself it's doesn't the matter. It's the decisions that, that we make to hit the target. If it doesn't matter, why not critical. keep it? Okay. And many of the decisions that we are making are going to be very difficult for people, uh, whether it's uh, gas boilers or electric cars, transition. We need to do But that we're making those decisions to reach the target. Kenny Morden, it's about how you get to net zero. Are you committed, for example, to the carbon budget six, which says we will reduce emissions by 78% by 2035. It's a legal requirement. Would you yes. hit that? So, so the, the end target, and you're right, it's really important that we, we hit those interim targets. But we have to also be realistic about what it is going to take to get there. We've already spoken about uh, levies and so forth that are, that are clobbering families and businesses. That does need to be looked at because it is causing, it is causing problems. But I'd say two other things as well. It also has to contribute towards our industrial renaissance and levelling up. This potentially can deliver thousands of jobs and create, um, in some cases, new industries for the UK. And the supply side reforms that I spoke about will help us do okay. that. And finally, it's got what to supply be side reforms with our energy I suppose investment cycles, that was it, uh, That it? is incredibly Rishi Sunak, are you committed to all the interim carbon budgets and the net zero target? Yes, and, and Lindsay's question is important. And this is uh, about our future. I have two young girls and they're not massively bothered about my job. The one thing they ask me about is the environment, Dad. What are you doing about climate change? What are you doing about the environment? In the same way I care about our borrowing and debt and what we're passing on to our children and grandchildren, I care about the climate and the environment that I'm leaving them. So of course I'm committed to it. We need to make sure that we do it in a way where we bring people with us. If we go at it too hard and too fast and all everyone hears is higher bills, we will not be able to carry people with us. Not, that's not the right way to do it because we also need to focus on our energy independence along the way. But we can get there and we can get there in the way that creates jobs and opportunity and, in the end of the day, leave a better future for our kids and grandkids. That's what I'll deliver. Tom Sugenhart, you've talked about flex in our green commitments. What does that mean? Are you going soft on them? What I've spoken about, no, I'm clear on the net zero target, but what I've talk, spoken about is actually things like carbon offshore pricing to make sure that what we don't do is cut carbon emissions here in the UK and see jobs go to China. What we don't see is the punishment of British workers for higher standards. What we don't see is steel industries closing down because other people use dirty coal and we're not allowed to. What we need to make sure is that when we set rules, we don't allow others to undercut them with cheaper prices. What we need to make sure is we maintain standards What the hell is he talking about? Because around the world, it doesn't matter where the carbon comes from, it's going well, into... This is an anti-China talking point, isn't it? He, he hates China. China's decarbonizing quicker than America is. And that's why I'm he's like a tariffs on China guy. Or maybe America. What we really I mean, he's a big Atlantic. We need so. to see the move to green energy here, of course. We need that carbon capture and storage off the northeast of Scotland. We need the oh nuclear power stations, but it we also work. need to see them exported. You know, the work that the Department of Trade has been doing in the last week in exporting or helping to export, I hope very soon, nuclear power stations to Poland, small-scale reactors, is going to make a huge difference here we in Europe. We don't, Hinkley Point is being built by the French. How can we export stuff? We don't build our own. Well, all of that's about building. Gas to Lindsay's, Lindsay's absolutely right, but the greener economy doesn't work if it's just in these islands. These islands are precious to me and deeply, deeply personal to me. But the atmosphere doesn't really mind about what I think. 
it matters where the carbon is. And the carbon in the atmosphere needs to come down all over the world. And that's why we need to be working around the world okay. and we need to be holding other countries to the same standards as we are. Yeah, or it's called the Conference of the Parties. We're We've had 26 of them. Before we do, very quick show of hands. Fuck me. Your floating voters. Has tonight made you more likely to vote Conservative? Hands up. <clears throat> One, oh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're thinking about it, 10. Okay. Well, that, that, that tells you something. Um, well, uh, now it's time for the candidates to make their the final pitches. Each of them will have 45 <coughs> seconds to spell out why they believe they're the best person to be Britain's next Prime Minister. We have drawn lots for the order, and first up is Kemi Badenoch. Thank you, Christian. It's, it's time to tell the truth. The truth is, unless we change, we will fail. I love this country. I chose it when I was 16. It is the best place in the world. Nowhere else on the planet would give me the opportunity standing in front of the nation, asking for the honor of being the leader of the government. And yet our country can still be so much better. Better for those working hard to make ends meet like I did on minimum wage, flipping burgers at McDonald's all those years ago. Better for all our children. I will fight as hard for yours as I do for my three kids, protecting their future by looking after our environment, improving schools and creating a strong economy. And we will do this with better government. The machine is not working. As an engineer, I know how to strip things down and get them to work. And with me as your prime minister, we all have the change for the better. And that's the honest truth. Tom Tugner. Thank you very much for watching this evening because this evening isn't actually about us. It's not just about the Conservative Party. It's about you, your country and your prime minister. Please get in touch with your MP and tell them what you think. Tell them who you want to support in the final two of the Conservative leadership round. Because the country is going through a crisis at home and challenges abroad. What we're seeing around the world is we're seeing division and disunity, and we can pull people together. What we can do is we can turn this around. Now, we know that people are asking the right question. People tonight have been asking the right question. We need a clean start. We all know that. But some of us have the answer. Some of us have the answer tonight. Now, I have a track record of leadership. <laughs> I have weird. led on operations and I have led in Parliament. And time's up. And now I would like to the lead army. the United Kingdom. He was, he was like Uncle Albert only fours and horses. During a war. I'm very aware that while my party chooses a new leader, you are watching us pick your next prime minister. And that is why this contest must be about you your lives and your ambitions and your immediate worries. And as a Conservative, I hope you like at least one of us. <laughs> but it should matter to you, so thank you for watching. At some point, all of you will have a vote and you will see that not all politicians wow. are the same. I'm not Glass the traditional as well, man. Author. I'm not the legacy candidate. I'm focused on the future. What does the legacy candidate mean? It's so weird. All it can be well, I guess like Sajid Javid was running for a second time, right? That was a legacy candidate. Good. I mean, I think if you ever say future, it means you're talking nonsense. Future, not past. We've had a robust debate tonight, but we agree on much. We all want to cut taxes so people keep more of their own money. We all want to improve public services. We all want secure borders. But the choice at this election is who can be trusted to grip this moment and get things done. I love our country and be in no doubt 
We are going to build a better future for our children and grandchildren. But nothing worth having ever comes easy. So the question is simple. Do we confront the challenges facing our country honestly and responsibly or not? For me, there is only one answer. Thank you. Ms. Frost. We face grave challenges as a country. The worst economic crisis for a generation. An appalling war perpetrated by Russia in Ukraine after decades of very slow growth. Now is not the time for a continuity of our current economic policy. We need to be bold. We need to do things differently. We need to cut taxes. We need to unleash growth. And we need to unleash the potential of all of the people across our great country. I'm somebody who can go into Downing Street on day one and get the job done. I've got a record of delivery in every department I've been in, whether it's striking trade deals with Australia and Japan. Thank you very much. And that's it. Time is up. Thank you for watching. Thank you to the audience here. Thank you, of course, to the candidates for taking part in this debate. Next week, the MPs whittle them down to two. After that, it's over to the Tory party and we'll find out who wins in September. Good night. Now I want to know your thoughts, Aaron. Your your, your key takeaways, who do you think has finished that debate in a stronger position than they started? Well, it was a terrible debate. I mean, it was really uninformative. Nobody stood out. There wasn't a particularly charismatic candidate. So I suppose in that respect, if you're Liz Truss, that's, that's good. You know, Sunak didn't really pull away. Penny Mordaunt, incredibly underwhelming, Michael. You know, where one word would suffice, she said 17. She says her final thing to camera wearing glasses rather than contact lenses. I, that's meant to be politics 101. Maybe, maybe she's had some personal brand guru say, actually wear glasses. Very, very, very strange. Very, very, very strange. So uh, I think on balance, a good night for Kemi Badenoch. She'll probably have a decent role in the future cabinet. Tom Tugendhat applied himself well. I'm sure there's a little blue tick liberal saying, oh, he's wonderful. He should be the prime minister. When in fact, his voting record is no different to the rest of them. But I think, yeah, indisputably, Liz Truss had the best night of the lot. Uh, for two reasons. She was the least crap of them. But also she's saying something, something distinctive about deficit-funded tax cuts, which is at least interesting. It's going to get people's attention. Whereas Sunak is kind of saying, I'll manage the economy somewhere between David Cameron and, and Boris Johnson. And nobody really knows what that means. Between those two, it's going to be a really interesting contest, but I think, I think Trust is going to trounce him if it is those two with the Tory membership. I mean, I think from that debate, I think Rishi Sunak actually came off the best because I think he, he, he managed to talk about what will actually be people's priorities in a way where he sounded like he actually cared about it. He, you know, he can, he can bring up some figures, 1.2k of the poorest third people's energy bills. You know, it sounds reasonable. He's put forward this national insurance rise to pay for NHS and social care. Of course, I think this is all completely meaningless if you're not taxing the rich, if you're not introducing rent controls, if you care to claim about inflation and you aren't controlling profits, then you're not a serious person. But I do still think he came across as the most serious person on the stage. I actually think Kemi Badenoch had a disappointing evening. I listened to, as I say, the conservative home hustings on Zoom, and she was actually the standout there. I don't think she was a standout there at all. I think very bad for Penny Mordaunt. She seems to me to be a completely insubstantial person, insubstantial character. I think that's going to sort of make people believe a little bit more the briefings that have been done that say she's actually not on top of her brief and she's just a very mediocre person and that's why she kept losing her jobs. Liz Truss, I think, has... There's a point of for, for Conservative MPs to vote for Liz Truss because she is the tax cut 
candidate, I will cut tax paid for mm. by borrowing. And Rishi Sunak sounded like the most serious one. And I think of the people on those on that stage, Rishi Sunak would be the most likely to be able to beat Keir Starmer because Keir Starmer is going to be having these debates and arguments about being sensible with sound money and also I think public services. Yeah. And Rishi Sunak can give a decent answer when it comes to public services. Whereas Liz Truss clearly just doesn't care about them. You know, she was asked a question about how will you fund your tax cuts without cutting public services. She didn't talk about public services. You know, all of them did that politician thing. Oh, I love the NHS. I had a friend who once had an operation, which means this is really personal to me and you're amazing. She just forgets to do all of that because she obviously, she, you know, she doesn't care. She can't even pretend to care. Rishi Sunak's quite good at pretending to care. I mean, I would disagree to the point that you're saying this or that candidate's going to do better with Starmer. I think when you look at what's ahead in the next 12 months in terms of inflation, cost of living crisis, I think the broader parameters and context of politics are going to change so much. Labour could be looking at a large majority or, you know, trust could come and win or Sunak could come. I, I, I would say, look, we're two years away from an election. I think either of them could be Labour. I think Labour clearly because they've got, you know, the Tories have an 80 seat majority. They've lost a few by-elections now, but it's more than 70, 75. Clearly, Labour have a massive task to, to, to pull that back. And if Labour win any kind of majority, it would be extraordinary. But the idea that oh, Labour would want this or that candidate. I think you, it underplays and underestimates what's going to happen between now and 2024. It is not like Miliband and Cameron, you know, like two variations of the same kind of flavour. And in a way, I think what would be really interesting, Michael, is if you did have Sunak and Starmer in 2024, broadly similar politicians. I mean, I'm not saying they believe the same things, but their presentation's quite similar. You know, they're, they're going on a mixture of like competence and a nice haircut. And yeah, being being senior administrators of the state, Sunak's been a chance of the Exchequer, uh, Starmer's been the direct, director of public prosecutions. It would be an interesting one because, you know, sort of not much really between them. I, I think Trust could do very well. Well, you're saying Sunak came across the best, Michael, amongst the Tory selectorate. Trust is really emphasizing tax cuts. And I think that's really their instinct is tax cuts. There's a cost of living crisis. What's the solution? Tax cuts. Who's the best candidate on, on tax cuts? Liz Truss. So, I mean, I disagree with you a little bit. But Sunak, purely because he's been the Chancellor during an extraordinary period of time, particularly the COVID crisis, yeah, of course he can stand on that. But other than that, you know, he comes across as a very senior administrator again. He could be the PM. He'd be a, he'd be a really tough, tough nut to crack for Labour. But I think, you know, Liz Truss equally has her own, has her own challenges because, you know, Sunak faced with a 20% inflation probably wouldn't really deviate from the script very much. I mean, he did furlough, so that's the counter-argument. Whereas she's saying, I think Truss is the, out of all of them, is the one who could do something extraordinary um, and, and really deviate from the script in a way similar to, to, to Thatcher before 83. I could see Liz Truss doing something completely insane, for better or worse. I think that for, after that debate, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will be the final two and Liz Truss will win. And I think they'll be the final two because both of them gave MPs, after all, it's only MPs who get to decide who goes into the final two, a reason to vote for them. Rishi Sunak, because I think he seems, you know, I know you disagree, but I think he seems like the most plausible person who could potentially win the next general election. Liz Truss, because she's offering conservative members and MPs what they want, which is tax cuts. Penny Morden, I feel like, what's she offering to anyone? So I expect her to, to, to lose at some point next week. I'm, I'm, I'm calling those as the final two. I may be wrong. We are going to call it a night there. Um, thank you to everyone for your Super Chat donations and your comments. Of course, head to tomorrowmedia.com slash support if you haven't already. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Aaron, for this extended show. 
Thank you, Michael. I learned a great deal about how underwhelming Penny Mordaunt is. And uh, strange world, we could be looking at Prime Minister Liz Truss. It gets from bad to worse. It'll be entertaining at least, even if a little bit terrifying. We will be back on Monday. Um, It's going to be a hot one, but we'll have the latest from the next ballot in the Tory leadership election. Also, clips from a Sky debate, which is going to be happening on Sunday. For now, you've been watching Tisky Sour on Navarra Media. Good night. This broadcast is brought to you by Navarra Media. Go to navaramedia.com slash support.